0: You're listening to the sermon podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Psalm 119,
1: 73 88. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have humbled me. That your steadfast love become my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. That your mercy come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the arrogant be put to shame because they have subverted me with guile. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me so that they may know your decrees. May my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I may not be put to shame. My soul languishes for your salvation I hope in your word. My eyes fail with watching for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The arrogant have dug pitfalls for me. They flout your law. All your commandments are enduring. I am persecuted without cause. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, spare my life so that I may keep the decrees of your mouth.
0: Thank you, Jubilee. When I hear those verses, I don't know about you, but... I, I nearly hear the anxiety of the writer of them, and it feels like there is an, an enemy or enemies actively arrayed against the person who is praying these words. Uh, they pray that those who fear the Lord would come close, but that the arrogant would be shamed, and that their eyes fail for watching for the promises of God, and they ask, how long?" Must they endure against the arrogant and the persecutors because they have nearly made an end to the life of the person who's praying? And all through this, though, I hope you can agree with me, too, that that there is an underlying foundation of peace at work as well, and that the writer expresses that they read and they ponder and they meditate on the promises of God. The word of God, the the law, the statutes, the decrees of the Lord are what gives life. It gives this person hope and comfort. Two weeks ago, Greg talked about studying the Bible using the inductive Bible study method. Does anybody recall that? I hope so. It was two weeks ago. It's not that far. And this way of studying the Word allows us to learn and grow in the knowledge about the Word, about the Word of God. We can do, you know, Hebrew and Greek word studies. We can use cross-referencing systems. Uh, We we let the Bible interpret other parts of the Bible. And so we can gain, like, an amazingly solid understanding of what the Bible is saying, what the words are saying to us and And then we follow that up with with applying actually applying what the what we have learned and putting it into practice into our own life <clears throat> and so yes, the d- inductive way of studying the Bible is a great way of understanding what's what's going on in the Bible and gaining knowledge and wisdom about it. Uh, what I want to talk about today though is a is a different way of approaching the Bible if if using the the inductive study method is is becoming a, a knowledgeable and seasoned archaeologist uh, that say focuses on, on Celtic British history, all right, then then meditating and praying the Bible, which I'm going to be talking about today, uh, would be would be slowly excavating a portion of a of a hill fort in South Britain and finding bits of treasure that are truly exciting and, and in some ways life-changing, history-changing when you find them. I want to stick with this metaphor of treasure hunting for a bit here, so keep that in your minds, please. Uh, there's a verse later, um, we'll get to it in Psalm 119 in a few weeks, but it, it stands out in in to this theme quite a bit. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 162, it says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil, like one who finds great treasure. <clears throat> the joy of finding treasure, I would imagine, would be amazing. Has anyone found treasure or, or real treasure? Anyone? Anyone? Yes? Wow. Was it cool? $300 worth of treasure, that, yes, I like the sound of that. The, the closest I've ever come to, to finding treasure uh, was in elementary school, actually, and I was walking across the school field, the green space, like inside the running track there, and all of a sudden, just walking along, and all of a sudden, I looked down and I saw in, in my elementary brain a huge pile of coins, just coins, you know, and, and I was like, whoa, that is amazing! And so, obviously, I'm not going to look around to see if anyone else is going to claim them. They're, they're mine. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, I think, is the rule that we follow. And so I picked them up, oh, I was just like, yes, this is so awesome, and it probably was like a dollar, but it was in a lot of nickels and it was great. So like that's the closest I've come. So Haley, you, you beat me by $299 there. So <laughs> but the joy of treasure hunting. I don't know that like we watch vi- we watch movies like there's like a whole whole genre of Hollywood movies about finding treasure. You know, Nicolas Cage does a really good job of finding treasure. I'm not going to lie, those are great movies, <clears throat> but I like the comparison of hunting for treasure and meditating on the Word of God. Uh, before we go any further, though, I, I do want to explain what I mean when I say meditating. All right, That word holds a lot of baggage for us, I believe, and, and it's been used so often uh, especially, you know, in recent years, to describe the you know Eastern spiritual practices, um, you know, meditating is something that you know Buddhists do and, and Hindus do, and and all sorts of you know Eastern um, spiritual practices, and and I'll be uh, th- that's not what I'm talking about here. All right, that is a form of meditation for some people, uh, but the main difference between that sort of meditation and, and the, the meditation that the Bible talks about is, is what we do with our minds uh, during periods of meditation. So Eastern meditation, as I'll call it today, is generally about uh, focusing on, on nothingness and emptying your mind of all thoughts um, and this is thought to, to bring about, you know, enlightenment or nirvana might be a word that's thrown around, uh, and peace and, and, and better focus of mind. Biblical meditation, what it explains in the Bible, is a much different exercise because it is not about emptying your mind, but it is about filling it instead, filling it with the right things. Theologian E.P. Clowney, who actually Tim Keller described as one of the fathers of his preaching ministry, describes Christian or biblical meditation as having three distinctive parts to it. So I want to go over that just as a way of, of explaining to you uh, what I mean by biblical meditation. Uh, and the first is that, that meditation is grounded in the Bible, Right? and as such we respond and we focus on the bible and not on emptying our mind or some mantra that we repeat over and over again and we we fill our mind with the words of the bible the second mark of christian meditation is that we is that we it responds to the love of god not just to the words of the text Right? When we meditate on the Bible, we, we need to remember that it is the author and the perfecter of our faith that we are communing with and not just the words on the page that are written in front of us. Uh, Gordon T. Smith explains it this way. Uh, remember, though, that our daily prayers are a time of encounter and communion with Christ. We meditate on the text of Scripture that we would know, love, and serve Jesus. The text is not an end in itself. Our daily prayers are not, in the end, a communion with the text. Even though the text is faithful and trustworthy word of God, rather what we seek is Christ himself, as he is revealed and known through scripture. The third mark of Christian meditation, according to E.P. Clowney, is that the, the meditation and revealing of God's Word should lead us to love God and to worship God. The meditation, as, as I just said, is not an end to it, unto itself. It, it should cause an active change in us, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our souls, and it, it should cause us to respond to God in, in worship and in right living. And we see this direct line of meditating on Scripture and responding uh, with right living in, in Joshua 1.8. And this is very much close to what Pastor Greg read over the, us as a mission team. And this is where God is commanding Joshua to lead the Israelites after Moses had died. And this is what it says. This book of the law which was the written Word of God at that point in time, shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. When we meditate on the Word of God and we pray on the Bible, it should actively change us because we are communing with God, we are listening to the Holy Spirit and responding to him and I should point out that this isn 't in Joshua one eight it isn 't some sort of prosperity gospel promise either. if you meditate on the on the Word of God then you know, God will bless you and make you prosperous and give you lots of wealth. That's not that what it means. It, it simply means that when we take the opportunity and we, we meditate on the Word of God slowly and allow it to enter into our whole being, our natural way of making decisions and living life will be according to the Word of God. And that is successful living. So going back to the metaphor of treasure hunting or or finding something of great value, uh, when we meditate on the Bible, we are following the instructions of Paul in Colossians 3 verse 1, where he tells the church to, to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. And we seek out the treasure that I can assure you is there in all of Scripture. Jesus tells a short parable in Matthew 13, 44. And he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and then hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can go and buy that field. What stands out to me this morning in Jesus' words is that the person must have known there was treasure somewhere in the field and so they take the time to seek it and find it. Treasure isn't always or is not usually just laying on the ground unless it's a pile of nickels that I happen to find. But treasure generally and most always takes time and energy to find in the same way we come to when we come to meditate on scripture we know there is treasure there and we actively take time to find it but i please know that this is this isn't a solo pursuit This isn't something that we just do by ourselves. When we engage in biblical meditation, we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so remember that Jesus, when promising us that he would send us his Holy Spirit, he says says a couple things that I want to point out to us about what the Holy Spirit will do and his, his active participation in our lives. In John 14, 26, Jesus says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is there to teach us and to remind us of what Jesus has said. And then a couple chapters later in John sixteen thirteen, Jesus again speaks of the, of the Spirit when he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So, the Holy Spirit is there to, to speak truth to us. He's not going to lead us astray. He's not going to speak lies to us. But He is going to answer us with truth. As we read the Bible, we must this is a key we must ask the Holy Spirit and then listen to the Holy Spirit for what He is saying to us as we study, as we meditate on the Word. We need God's help to understand what the Bible is saying to us. And that's what meditation is all about. It's not just understanding the, the, the big picture of what the words are, are about, but asking God to, to reveal the words to reveal what the words are saying to us right now. Hans Urs von Balthasar, that is an awesome name, a Swiss theologian. I'm really glad I get to quote him because that is such an awesome name. Hans Urs von Balthasar. (laughs) He puts it this way. The vistas of God's word unfold to the meditating Christian solely through the gift of the divine spirit or the Holy Spirit? How could we understand what is within God and is disclosed to us except through the spirit of God who is communicated to us? Psalm 119, 130, it says this, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. When the Spirit unfolds the words, then we gain understanding of what God is speaking to us in that moment. And that's why we can read the the same passages or the same verses at different points in our lives, and God gives us new truth, and He gives us perhaps a slightly different light so that we can see it in a different way every time we go back to it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us exactly what we need to hear at the present time. And I hope that this is encouraging. I hope that this makes you excited to spend time in God's Word and to meditate on the Bible, to seek the treasure that is within God's Word. Because the more we delve into the word, the more treasure we will find. The more we meditate, and the more we, we slowly ponder and think on scripture, the the trinkets of the world, the lies of the enemy, the distractions of the culture around us will be will will be so much less appealing. In fact, as our minds fill with God's truth we won't hold on to the lies of the enemy anymore as it says in Romans 12:2 as our minds are transformed by the renewing power of God's word we will be able to discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect and so in, instead of just talking about meditating on God's Word, I want to give us a chance to actually do it right now. And this is, it's, it's one thing to say that I, I, well, I would like to meditate on God's Word sometime, but it's another thing to actually know a method of actually accomplishing this. And so I'd like to introduce to you in a, a way of reading your Bible that is called Lectio Divina. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Lectio Divina? Lectio Divina. All the youth should be raising their hand because they know what it is. Um, Lectio Divina is a Latin phrase which makes it sound fancy, but it's it's not. It's just, it, it is what it is, and it simply means divine reading. Lectio Divina is a way of reading your Bible that intentionally slows us down and allows us to commune with God through reading and hearing God. And so this is definitely not reading, you know, three or four chapters of the Bible in 20 minutes and then just putting your Bible away. It's more about taking a short passage, sometimes maybe just a verse or two, and reading them slowly, multiple times, and asking the Spirit to speak to us through this living Word, and so I encourage you, if, if this sounds interesting, well, we're going to be doing it in a couple minutes together as a group, but I want to, uh, you know, check this out. Go research it for yourself. Uh, there's lots of good things written about it. Uh, Richard Foster has a book called Life with God that explains it pretty well. Uh, and so here here's this, the, the four stages, there's four different kind of, cyclical parts, they're not like linear, they kind of all you know bleed together, but four different stages that form Lectio Divina, and they are listening, reflecting, praying, and obeying. And so I'm gonna give you a brief explanation of what's going on here. This is how, how it works itself out. Before you start, before you start, you should pause, and you should pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in that moment. As you pray, try to let all the distractions, all the things, all the the worries, the anxiety, all that stuff, kind of let that go. Try to let that go and instead focus on the Lord. And ask the Lord, take away all these distractions. So try to focus your mind. And the first thing, the first stage is listening. And so, Choose a short passage, as I've said, it can be just one or two verses or something like that, and, and read it once slowly and expectantly. Again, this is not speed reading, this is, this is digestion, all right? In this stage, there's no wrong answers, there's no uh, wrong thoughts, but instead just, just listening to the Word and listening to God through the Word. And you might want to read the verses a couple times. And if it helps, uh, you know, you can underline things in the Bible as they, as, as you know, as God speaks to you about them. Uh, which which t- brings to the, the second stage, which is reflecting. And, it, and again, read the verses again. All right? You're getting kind of the idea. This is your multiple readings slowly. And as you're listening to God, start, start reflecting upon these verses. And, and you know, it, it's not a, not a bad thing to use your imagination to put yourself into the Bible. You know, what, what it would it be like, you know, to, to hear Jesus talking? And, you know, or, you know, if you're reading apart from the gospel. Or what would it be like to, uh, you know, to be in the same room as, as King David as he is singing a song? a psalm. So reflect on these things and, and start to pay attention to the words or phrases that God brings to your mind, you know, things that stand out to you. And we come to the third one then, praying. And so as you continue to read over the verses and ponder them, uh, turn the thoughts and the reflections, the words and the phrases that, uh, that you have into prayers. You know, to, wor- to, to worshiping God for the truth. Uh, maybe it's confession of sin. Maybe it's, uh, you know, giving God grief. Asking God to show you what's next. And remember in this time, praying is a conversation. Praying is not just a one-sided thing. Praying is a conversation between us and God, our Father. And so listening to God and resting in God's presence is very important here, too. And the fourth one, the fourth stage is is obeying. And obeying is, is the change that comes through the reading of God's Word. You know, if we read it and then we just walk away, it hasn't done much good. But if we obey it and if we change our life accordingly, that's what counts. And this will take time, all right? This will take a lot of time sometimes. Because we need to know and we need to, to, you know, to allow God to speak to us so that our lives can be changed. And this is, again, this is done by God's grace. This is not done by our own striving. But this is done by listening to God and allowing His grace to seep into our lives, and I'll be honest, there, there will be moments when we, when we practice Lectio Divina, when we practice meditation, it will be f- like finding this huge hoard of treasure, this huge amount of treasure and we'll be like, wow, that is unbelievably cool. But sometimes it's not going to be like that. Sometimes when we read the Word of God, it, it might be like, God, what are you saying here? And, you know, we, we, we try and we, we you know, we, we spend time with God, but it, it just is like, what is this? It takes time. It takes time and energy sometimes. And it might only yield a, a, like just a, a slight shift in the direction of our lives or something like that. But we must always yield and choose to be with God. Because we must always remember that God's word is always transformative to us. And the prophet Isaiah gives us this promise when he says in Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So we're going to try this out, as I said. We're going to try taking two verses today, and we're going to practice Lectio Divina together as a group. All right? So... Let's just, you know, break the ice. I know that sometimes sitting in silence can make some people awkward, all right? I acknowledge that, but we're still going to be sitting in silence, all right? So, just take a deep breath and, and, and allow ourselves, all of us, to sit silently, awkwardly, if that's what has to happen. All right, because this is this is a group exercise, but at the same time, we are all you know we're all gonna be listening to the Holy Spirit. And so it'll be kind of that, that individual exercise as well. And so in, in John chapter ten, verses fourteen and fifteen. This is what it says. This is what Jesus said to the crowd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So if you remember, the first step is listening. And so, as you hear those words, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Speak to you in your own personal experience right now. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We come to the the second stage, reflecting, so as you hear these words what what words or phrases are are standing out to you what is what is God saying to you personally right now? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. If you want to, feel free to share any words or phrases that that God has spoken to you. Yes, it was Jesus' choice to lay down his life. Hmm. Pardon me, trustworthy. trustworthy mm-hmm hmm. the song he knows my name, yeah. Yeah, the the intimacy of being known by God. He won't lead us astray. Mm-hmm. So, as these as these thoughts are are in our brain, we come to the third part, which is praying. And so, we take the, these thoughts, these things that God has spoken, <clears throat> and we simply turn them into prayers, and we, we, we talk to God about them. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. God, help me to know you. So as we come to the fourth stage obeying uh, we 're going to be having communion in in just a little bit here, so that in itself is an, is an act of obeying and so as we as i 'll read this one more time, and again, as we 've been reflecting whereas I guess if we 've been listening to the Lord and we 've been reflecting on what he's said. And we've been praying and now we we turn to obeying How, how can we do this how can we put this into practice in our life Jesus said I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep.